I'm Pastor Chris C. I'm the pastor of Ecclesia Houston. We're located in downtown Houston. We have a campus in the west side of Houston. And you're hearing from me because your church is amazing. Your church was one of the first to reach out to us in the midst of all that's been happening this week in Houston. You've seen it on the news, but the reality is even on the news, it's hard to fathom the level of destruction. We've never seen a storm like this, and it's, we've never seen a storm like this hit a city of about six million people, the fourth largest city in the United States. And I wanna thank you. I wanna thank your church leadership, your pastor. It's amazing that you guys didn't hesitate. You just right on it, you were with us. And we want you to know a couple things. We, we desperately need you in this season. This is not a time that Houston uh, can make it alone. And we need your help in three areas. One are the area of things that we, um, that we need desperately and we can't buy. Uh, we can't get dehumidifiers. We can't get some of the cleanup supplies that we need, uh, fans. Uh, these are the basic things that we need to clean out a house so that we don't get mold. And the reality is we can't go down to Home Depot and get them. And what we need is your church, as many of you have already heard, to gather the things that we need to load them on a truck and bring them to us. Then secondly, we need your help buying the things we can buy. We have so many people that were living close to the poverty line uh, that are food insecure long before the storm and they're hungry. Uh, we've got a particular area we're working in today and everybody in the neighborhood is looking for food. And what we want to be able to do is provide food for people that desperately need it. This week we went out and we're going to be doing more and bought $50,000 worth of gift cards, $100 gift cards. We can put them in the hands of people. We think it makes sense. It helps them have dignity, buy their own food. Often we'd be giving a family the groceries that they don't want. We'd be giving green beans to a Latino family that wants black beans and corn tortillas. And we can give them a card in the name of Jesus on behalf of each of you and let them go buy the groceries they need. We need help with that. We need help with rent assistance to relocate people. And then lastly, we, we need you. We're already, after a few days, it's amazing to be a part of the church. Our church deployed in less than 24 hours, almost 1,000 volunteers. Can you believe that? Who else in the world can do that? The, the church. And we've got a good church, we've got a strong church, but this is what I gotta tell you. Our church is weary and hurting already. We're trying to take care of our own. Uh, people are tired and exhausted. And when you come in and you bring a team together, ready to serve, ready to love our city, it means a lot to us. So thank you. In the midst of all the devastation, um, your love and hope and encouragement keeps us going. Please come see us, bring, bring what we need, and please gather an offering and help contribute to the important needs that are gonna be unfolding not just today and this week, but over the long haul as we try to recover. And what I believe is one of the most remarkable cities on the planet, Houston, Texas. It's the most ethnically diverse city in the United States. It's a generous city. We've helped others and now we need your help. God bless you and thank you. Hey man, what, what a powerful reminder, right? What a powerful reminder. We're called to love our neighbors and these are our neighbors here in, the, in South Texas. And I'm just so thankful for you and just, uh, we cast a vision before you, and you guys always step up to the plate. You always do whenever we say, hey, this is what God's leading us to do, and you did so faithfully this week. And, you know, I just want to remind you of this. This video is great. It was sent to uh, one of our partner churches in the San Antonio area, and, and here's our philosophy is we are coming in and we are supporting these local churches in the coastal cities there uh, because we want to see the local church, the bride of Christ, shining bright in those areas, right? And so we're coming alongside them and partnering. I love it whenever the body of Christ is unified and comes together. It's a beautiful thing the world needs to see. Amen. I think Jesus needs a hand for that. That's what we're called to be. We're called to come together. And just as a reminder, okay, this is going to be a marathon. This isn't a sprint. 
And sometimes we start great on things like this, but this is gonna, this is gonna take time and months and maybe even years as we, we have a, a, this opportunity to show the world what the bride of Christ is supposed to look like. And so uh, I'm so glad you're here with us. What you've been doing already and helping us uh, gather supplies for this trailer out here, that is as much worship as what you're doing in here this morning. You know that? You're worshiping the Lord whenever you are giving of yourself. I want to share this passage, and we shared it in a video this week with you, but if you didn't see it, God gave us this passage to give to our church, and here's what it is. The author of Hebrews says this. It's interesting what he says, and don't, what is the next word? Don't forget. Don't forget to do good. Don't forget. How, why do we forget? We get busy with our lives. Out of sight, out of mind. We're getting the kids to the places they need to be. And these are just folks that are just hours away from us that are going through the most devastating time in their life. And, and he admonishes us as the church. He says, don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. And I love this part. These, he says, are the sacrifices that please God. It is, a, it is a wonderful sacrifice to the Lord, an offering. It's a worship that you're bringing to God when we love our neighbor as ourselves. And here's what I want to encourage you to do, okay? Don't, I, I encourage everybody to participate. We can, we can bless this region, all of us together, all of our churches in our communities, and we've reached out to churches all over the place. We're partnering with wonderful churches in our community all over the place as we come together as the body of Christ. The scripture says one church, one church, and we're trying to move together like that, here's what I want to urge you to do. Participate in some kind of way. Bring something that's on that supply list if you haven't yet. I encourage, we're going to be open all week doing this, even on Labor Day. Everybody can bring something. This is an incredible teachable moment for your kids. Get your kids involved. Teach them what it means to sacrifice. Teach them what it means to give. We're talking about happiness is. There's nothing that makes us more happy than when we give, right? And we're generous with people who are in need. And so I, I encourage you to not only get involved, grab some water or cases of water, whatever you can do, whatever God puts on your heart, get your kids involved. But here's the other thing. Uh, spread the word. Tell people at your office. Uh, this is a drop-off point. They're all over the place. Whether you do it here, just, just help in some way. I urge you to do that. And uh, put it on social media. Uh, this week, I connected with one of my neighbors through the app called Nextdoor. Does anybody else get on that? I normally, I never say anything on that because you're just gonna get blasted on there sometimes, right? So I'm just, I usually, I usually just get on for the entertainment sometimes, just being honest with you, okay? I'm like, man, it's crazy. Um, but I, there's some, I met a family that lives on my street through this app because every time something like this happens, their name's Anthony and Megan Lewis, and we've never met, but every time something like this happens, they are always the first in our community that starts gathering things. And this week I was like, you know, we're gathering things, but I don't know how we're gonna transport things. Things weren't coming together on that end for us. And so I just decided to step out and I just called Anthony and I said, this is what we're doing. I said, would you be interested in getting involved? And he said, absolutely. So their great trucking company called Raider Express, I think they got their guns up, I'm pretty sure, okay? And um, Jerry, stop it. And, uh, and, and the Raider Express, this wonderful company is partnering with us in this. And again, I just love seeing, I love seeing a community come together, right? That is so beautiful whenever that happens. And so Megan, my neighbor, she, uh, she sent me this picture yesterday. 
she sent me this picture. She said this was from her, she's from that area down South Texas in the Houston area. And uh, she sent me this picture. She said one of her childhood friends, family members who lost everything in the flood went into his house and he said the Bible was open to this right here. And it says this, the scripture that was open was give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And she sent me that picture yesterday. His loyal love endures forever. Now, in a situation like this, like God, is God really loving people in this? You know how God loves people in times like this? Through the church. He loves people through you. He loves people through us. And, and, and he does this through people. So how can you get involved? Gather. We're still gathering, and we're going to be doing this all week. Some of you may feel compelled to go all right? And some of you who want to go, let us know because we're partnering with churches that are going in, doing cleanup and going in and supporting local churches that are down there who, again, they're, I talked to pastors, that their churches have, have lost everything. Their the staff is still trying to put their lives together. And so anyhow, you may feel compelled to go. Let us know. You can continue to give if you feel like giving, uh, you've already given so much by your generosity. Just within a couple of days, we were able to, to send to an organization that's provided 1,200 meals for people down there who are hungry in just a couple of days. Over 1,200 meals there. And then more has come in to help with the cleanup. You've been giving already, but maybe you would get involved in this. And I think Pastor Randy said this, but Pastor Greg Mott said this, that when the waters recede, the church should rise. And I think that's so powerful and that's so true. Everyone can help in some way. Well, we are continuing in happiness is, and we've been looking at this, this, these great words of Jesus in Matthew chapter five. Turn with me in your Bibles or look with me on your devices or follow on the screen here. We'll be looking at these other passages that kind of go along with what we're talking about. And in week one, a few weeks ago, we said, all right, the world has an idea of what happiness is and what it looks like. The world will say that happiness oftentimes is found in stuff. Well, what, if, what kind of example have we been shown this week? Stuff doesn't last. People down in South Texas, much of their stuff is gone. In an instant, it can be gone, right? And, and it's not that it's wrong to have new things. Or, I'm not saying that, but you, you can't find your happiness purely in stuff because it gets old, it wears out, and sometimes it just goes away. Some of us are looking for happiness in other people, and you go from relationship to relationship to relationship. That's a lot of pressure to put on other people to be personally responsible for your happiness. And so some will try to find it. It's not that people can't bring some happiness in our life, but we're talking about a true, lasting happiness because here's what also happens. Sometimes people disappoint us. Sometimes people go away. Sometimes people die, Right? And so if you're looking to, to find it only in that, you may be disappointed there. Sometimes we're thinking, I just need a new scene, new location. If I could just move, go to this other town, I need a fresh start. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's, a, that's not a bad thing to do. But if you're doing that purely to find happiness, you got to remember that wherever you go, you're still there, right? There has to be something that happens in here is what Jesus would say. There's something that's beyond the temporal fix. And Jesus addresses this in this great passage in Matthew chapter 5. We discovered happiness is not getting something new. It's not going someplace new or doing something new. It's becoming someone new in Jesus. 
It's discovering what that means. And so in his Sermon on the Mount, he, before he ever started talking about how to live the Christian life, he, and, and what we would say conduct, he starts dealing with character. He starts dealing with internal things before he gets to the external outflow of how we behave and what produces that conduct. And so he starts with these characteristics that are called, and how to be blessed, he starts with these characteristics that are called beatitudes. And we taught you a couple of weeks ago, if you didn't know, that the word beatitudes, a Latin word, it means deeply blessed, to be deeply blessed. And over and over in these beatitudes, he would say, blessed are the, and then he would say some kind of phrase after that that we've been digging in on, okay? And then this word blessed, literally in the Greek, which it was written in, is the word makarios, and it means, say it with me, happy. So literally you could say, happy are the, and then you fill in the blank there, okay? Happy are these. And so these famous words that Jesus said are challenging words. They go against our human nature. These people he was speaking to, were, they were chasing it like we're all chasing it. We all want to be happy. We all want to find it in some kind of way. Every time I ask that question, every hand goes up. I want that. I want it in my life. And so we'll try to find it in all these different ways. And Jesus would say, listen, I'm going I'm to rock your world by telling you the way to true happiness because it's not going to be what you think. I'm going to turn it upside down on you. And he did this to people who were desperate. They were chasing it. They were trying to find it. They couldn't find it even in their religion. It was fruitless. Jesus would declare that their religion was fruitless. It wasn't producing it within them. They were putting on a show. They weren't really connecting with God. And he's going to say, listen, it starts with the personal relationship with God. And that's where it begins. And he says this in Matthew 5. And he opened his mouth and he taught these people up on the hillside. And he taught them this. Blessed, in fact, will you read it with me out loud? Let's say it out loud together as a congregation. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Remember the word blessed means what? Say it with me. Happy. So I was getting to this one this week, and I was like, oh. As I started discovering more what meek means, I'm like, Jesus, can we skip this beatitude and go to the next one? And you'll understand in just a second. <laughs> Because this one, will, this one will rough your heart up just a little bit when you start understanding. Happy are the meek? Are you kidding me? Is Jesus calling us to be a bunch of doormats? Is he calling us to be weak? Is that what this means? Spineless. Because we, we don't really get this word much. It sounds like a word we don't really like in our culture. It sounds like the word, what? Weak. And we're like, oh, no, how could these people actually inherit the earth? How could the world be theirs? Especially in our culture that is, you know, dog eat dog, look out for number one. Or in the words of the famous philosopher Norm said this. You remember Norm? Everybody remember Norm? Okay, some of you do. He said when he was asked about uh, how the world was treating him, he said, it's a dog eat dog world, Woody, and I'm wearing milk bone underwear. Anybody remember that? <laughs> One time Sam asked him, how's the world treating you, Norm? And he said, like a baby treats a diaper. You ever felt that way? Right? Isn't that our world true? The world, man, can be rough. The world pushes us 
And what do we want to do? Come on. I'm going to push you back. I'm going to knock you out. Right? It was funny. I, I, th- I told you all a few weeks ago, I love Co- Coach Abin saying I'm, I'm the chaplain for the football team. He introduced me to the, to the team. He said, this is my preacher, Bart Howe. He'll preach to you on Sunday and he'll knock you out on Monday. I was like, I like that, you know? And, and, and I was kind of like, I wish he'd, I'd get introduced before service like that. That'd be fun, right? But, but the world pushes us. We want to push back. The world comes at us and, and, and it's all about, you know, uh, getting to the top and pushing people out of our way. And, and Jesus would say, how's that working for all of you? How's that going? Are you happy? Are people happy around you in this? We often don't understand this word. We think it's like being a pushover. We think it's a doormat. And, and we're going to learn in just a moment that's not at all what it means. But it starts where Jesus started because he said first before he ever got to happy are those who are meek, he said happy are those who are poor in spirit. And do you remember what that means? First you've got to come, he's saying happy are those who will come to God in their brokenness. And we realize we don't have anything to offer we realize that we need God deeply in our life. And he said, when you finally get to that place of brokenness, you're on to something. You're going to find that happiness is going to begin to emerge in your life. I didn't say it was going to be easy. He just said, you're going to have something that's special that much of the world doesn't have. Then he said, happy are those who mourn. We, we, we talked about that paradox last week. And, and he's saying, happy are us when we realize that we are sinners, that we need, and we mourn our sin, and we need a Savior, and that we need to live in repentance, and that we recognize we need the Savior to come alongside us, and we need grace in our life. Because here's the thing, when you start realizing how much grace you need, you start realizing, I need to extend it to other people around me. But if you can't come to that place yet, You're not going to have this thing called meekness without these things first. They follow a sequence, all right? Happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn their sin. And then he goes on and he says, and happy are the meek. Now, here's what this word meek means. It's meekness is gentleness. You could translate it gentleness. That also, as I'll describe, the way the word means this, it doesn't mean weak, but it's pleasant, it's temperate. That's a great word. Temperate. It, uh, it's free from pride. All right? You see, it, it's, it's this attitude that's fitting for the occasion you find yourself in. That's meekness. It's not weak. It's a word that would be described to, uh, to talk about a domesticated animal that has come under the use of a master. More particularly, it was described taking like a wild, powerful stallion and bringing that horse under control of a master. Whenever I was 20 years old, uh, I went and uh, became a youth pastor of a church in a little bitty town, a ranching town outside of Brady, Texas, called Rochelle, Texas. Anybody know about Rochelle, Texas? They had six-man football. Very few people know about this town. It is a ranching town. The people who live there, they're the real deal cowboys, all right? And before I would go and speak to the kids on a Wednesday night, I would go and stay with this family, and they allowed me to stay with them, incredible family, the Mundans. We called him. He truly was a cowboy, had a big ranch there. That's what he did for a living. We called him Tex. 
all right, because he was classic Tex. Big Tex, that's who he was. No joke, he drank out of one of these coffee cans that, that, that you put the, that, that's in the coffee. That was his can of tea. No, no joke, okay? Big guy, big guy. Well, he said to me, he said, Bart, he said, you want to ride one of my horses? I was like, okay, sure. And uh, I knew he was setting me, I didn't know totally, but I figured something was up. But he was like, you want to ride one of my horses? And I'm like, okay. He's like, you ever ridden a horse before? I said, well, I've ridden a few ponies, all right? And uh, my dad got me a pony when I was a kid, and he used to try to bite me, you know, or whatever. And, I never, and so anyhow, he said, well, I'm going to put you on this horse. His name's Yewa. And I was like, okay. And so he brings Yewa out, and uh, this was the biggest animal I've ever seen in my life. And he's snickering. Now, maybe it wasn't that big, but that's how I saw it at the time. And our media team has too much fun dressing me up. I'm just saying. They need to stop that, okay? But Yewa came out, and this thing was ripped. I mean, his muscles are just, uh, and, and he's, uh, he's like, let me t show you a few things, and, and, and I can't talk like him too much because then I'll lose my voice. And, and, and I got on the horse, and then he's like, just, just we'll start you out kind of slow. And I, let me just tell you, uh, wearing cowboy boots does not make you able to ride a horse. I'm just going to say that right now. So I got on Yewa. And I thought, I'm in control. We're kind of trotting a little bit. This is good. This is okay. Can we go a little faster? I don't like the trotting. And uh, so we started just kind of going a little bit faster. And then he starts galloping. Tex gets the biggest smile on his face because he knew what was coming. Yewa, by the way, I looked up. What does Yewa mean? I looked it up. I don't know if he knew this, but in Filipino, it means devil. Okay? And uh, all of a sudden, Yewa takes off. And I'm... Oof. And I am terrified at this point and don't know how to stop this horse. The reins come out of my hands at this point. My saddle starts slipping. I'm going to the side. I grab onto his neck. Jesus talks about what the words that come out of your mouth are in your heart. I found out words were in my heart. I'm, I'm holding on for dear life, screaming, Texas dying laughing. We would have won the Kentucky Derby. And, and Ye was taking me underneath trees, trying to knock me off, going along barbed wire, trying to get my leg. I'm not joking. Here's what Yehua was making sure I knew. You're not in control, I am. Here is the deal, this word meek is about a powerful animal that is broken and under control. Yewa was not. I did not stay long at that church. I just moved on not long after that. I'm still friends with those folks, but I'm like, I, I don't fit here. I'm not a good fit. Here, it's, it's, it's powerful. It's this horse. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing that's been broken and under control of the master. It's under control. It could throw you, but it won't. It could kick you and kill you, but it won't. It's under control. It's just as fast as a wild stallion, but it's under control, right? Are you seeing what I'm saying? It has all the same strength. It's just under control. And this is what meekness is. Aristotle said this, the Greek philosopher, not Norm, but he said about meekness, he says, a person who's meek is one who is angry at the right occasion and with the right people at the right moment. 
And I thought that was interesting because William Barclay followed up and said this. He expounded by saying, blessed is the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. And I thought that's good, right? It's that you're under control. Barclay would go on and say, when is the wrong time? He would say the wrong time was when it was due to personal insult. Just people saying things to you. He said the wrong time is whenever it's just only about you. He said the right time, though, is whenever it's harming others around you and you're the kind of person that stands up for others. By the way, look at Jesus. Didn't he do that? Yes. They would pick on people. The adulteress, he stood up. So do you see, it's not weak. It's not weakness in any kind of way. It's not pushover. It's not, it's not being a doormat. It's great strength that is harnessed under control of the master with appropriate responses. It's not self-control. This is important too. Because some of us can be like, well, I've got this self-controlled. No, you're going to see this is something God produces in us. It's God-controlled. Not self-controlled, but God-controlled. One guy said it about, we, uh, about meekness. He said, it's submissiveness under, and that's a choice, by the way, under provocation. Submiss submissiveness under provocation. The willingness to suffer rather than inflict injury. And then this is what he said, and I thought this was powerful. It leaves all in the hands of God. You trust hands of God. It's not, it's not passiveness, okay, all right, because there's an appropriate time and an appropriate response, and we see Jesus is showing this and living this out. Someone said a meek person acts with gentleness when he has it in his power to act with stern severity. Are you following me? Okay, this is the word. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who are under control of the master. Happy are those who first are poor in spirit and need God and who need forgiveness. When they realize how much forgiveness they need, then they're going to realize how much they need to show grace to others. It's a wonderful flow you know, the scripture only describes two people, calls two people in all of scripture as meek. Now, there were meek people all throughout scripture, but only two. Jesus obviously was one. And I love when you look at Jesus, you see the strength as he submits to the will of the Father, all right? And I love this example of Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, right? And, and he's about to be betrayed and he's going to be crucified. And he lets them do this because he has a mission, which is to redeem us, right? But then in the Gospel of John, I love that this is in John, when they come to him and they're like, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And it's Roman soldiers, or excuse me, it's the Jewish guard with, with clubs and, and with, with fire. And they're coming to get him in a mob there. And where is this Jesus? Where's Jesus? We're looking for him. And he says, here I am. And you know what the scripture says? They fell to the ground. It was like, I love that it's in there because it's like, let me give you a little love tap and reminder of my power. But I'm going to submit to you. When they got back up, he submits. Happy are the meek. Moses was a great leader. He is also described as meek. He's a great leader. He stood up to Pharaoh. 
right? He was a strong leader, led millions of people. Numbers 12, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth, but he wasn't a coward. He stood up to Pharaoh and God worked greatly through him in his leadership, right? You see, it's the weak people that are arrogant. It's the weak people that are mean-spirited, that gossip. They're the unhappy ones that are pushing people down and rude and, and, and those, that's weakness. That's not strength. That's weakness. Jesus said the truly strong people are the ones who are gentle. And he said the world will be theirs. A, mer- a, a meek person is under the control of the master. Here's kind of how that fleshes out in our lives. It means we don't overreact to things. It means we're not so sensitive. We're not ruled by our emotions as some of us can be. And I'm, I'm, I gotta tell you, I was like wanting to skip this one this week because I can be emotional and I can get, I can lose my temper and I can, next thing you know, I can be rude. And, and that, is, that is not a godly trait. And Jesus called, he says, happy are the meek. It's not one who's ruled by their moodiness or one that's ruled by their emotions. It's not one that's ruled by the poor actions of others. Sometimes, so many of us, our actions, our, our responses to other people were like, well, they made me do this or whatever. And he says, no, he says, you're under my control. You're under my control. That's strength. It's not going off on anyone and everyone. Well, I just say whatever's on my mind. You're not going to be a happy person. You're leaving some kind of wake in your life. I love to fish, and I was out on my boat a couple of weeks ago, just me and my dog. It was a peaceful morning. I was fishing. It was a great time, enjoying peace, right? And this big, giant boat had the whole lake, and he decided he was going to go a little bit close to me, and what trails a giant boat? A giant wake. And I wasn't really prepared for that. And I'm, I'm bass fishing and I'm having a good time. And I wasn't really prepared. And if I was in a smaller boat, I guarantee I would have gone over into the water. And I started thinking about this. We're all leaving a wake. You're leaving some kind of wake. If it's just you just shoot off at the mouth, you say whatever's on your, you are probably leaving a wake of destruction. If you are, uh, but there's a good wake too, because I also, uh, you know, maybe some of you go skiing and I know that some of you knee board and that's a good wake. And you can also be in your meekness leaving a powerful wake, a good wake. The question is, what kind of wake are you leaving? Are you leaving a good wake or destructive wake? All right, when you learn true gentleness as a person that's following Christ, doesn't mean you're a doormat, doesn't mean you're weak. It, it, true gentleness, it just means you're not overreacting to things. It means you're under control of the Father. You learn to hold your tongue. You allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, and you're like, you know, I'm going to let that go. I'm just going to let that go. It's a strong person in Christ who is under control of the master. Why would living like this, why would this be a benefit to us? Because it seems like, again, Jesus said words that were so contradictory to the way the world would say you would find happiness. Why would this be a benefit to you? Let's, let me just give you some things just to take practically out of this. How does gentleness lead to true happiness in our lives? Number one, gentleness diffuses conflict. Have you found that? 
That whenever you decide, instead of responding harshly to someone that responds harsh to you, to instead maybe lower your voice a little, look, Scripture even says this, that it de-escalates anger and angry situations when one will be the person to say, let's, let's calm down a little here. Let's, let's just calm down. This is getting out of control. Gentleness diffuses conflict. Proverbs 15.1, look at this word. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Harsh words is like throwing fuel on a fire that's already ignited and it blows up more. And, and, and have you noticed that we mimic emotions of a person that we're often talking to? Scientists discovered back in the 90s that there are neurons that are called mirror neurons that work in our brain and they are what allow us to sympathize and mirror back what other people feel. So if somebody gets angry and they start getting loud with you, what do we typically do? We get loud back. Well, I'm going to, I'll tell you this. And then it, it, it turns into a quarrel, a fight, right? If somebody gets upset, you know, and we see someone crying, a lot, a lot of times if our heart's soft, we see that and we feel that with them. If somebody's joyful and happy, we can feel that joy with them. Those are mirror neurons that are working in our brains. And it's like this behavior that is contagious, all right? And so scripture says a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words, it's like throwing that gas on the fire. And this is something, again, I told you, I was kind of trying to make a deal with God if we could skip this, this beatitude this week, because I struggle with this one. Can I just be real with you? When someone maybe, you know, and I get in a, an angry situation, it's hard for me to do this on my own. In fact, I've just discovered I can't do it on my own. I need God to help me with this. Hope and I will start to have a discussion. Does anybody else have those? Come on, help me out. Don't leave me hanging. My wife, we have discussions. And uh, in the discussions, here's what sometimes happens. I might get a little loud, okay? And then I start getting loud and Hope will say, why are you yelling? And then I will say this. Come on, you know, I'm not yelling. You ever do that? Does anybody ever do that? Come on. All right. Okay, thanks. And then the next thing you know, our discussion becomes about the way we're fighting and not about the actual root of the conflict. Does anybody else get sidetracked like that like we can? Okay. And this is mostly my fault. I am acknowledging this, okay? God's really working on this with me. And, 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 and it's like, and then we'll kind of work through, I'll finally kind of, Lord will help me, you know, or I'll come down a little, and then we can have the talk. And I'm like, now, what were we fighting about? You know, does that ever happen to you? And so it de-escalates. So when other people raise their voice, make a choice. Lower yours. That's meekness. You could get loud, you just choose not to. This simple tip, without a doubt, can save you an enormous amount of stress and conflict. How do you think that would impact your happiness factor? If you learn from Jesus meekness, think of how it would impact your, your relationships, your, the people, with the people around you, your marriage, your parenting, your friendships, your coworkers, your customers, 
or your co-employees there, instead of raising your voice back and forth, well, I'll tell you this, or I'm going to tell you this, and then the next thing you know, you're so stressed out. Happy are the meek. He says, you're not going to find it that way. Jesus is addressing this. Here's another thing it does. By the way, he set an example for us in this, didn't he? They would mock him and curse him and say horrible things about him. And Jesus, they said that he would choose to remain silent. And he would just trust God. And I'll show you a scripture in a minute that says this. Gentleness disarms, if you're taking notes, it disarms our critics. If you ever attempt to do anything in any way, the more you, you're successful you are, the more critics you're going to have, the more you, you tend to step out and do something, right, that's challenging, you're going to get criticized. The only way to not be criticized is do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. But the moment that you step up, even in an effort like what we're trying to do uh, there, criticism can happen, right? And it's like, wow, we're just trying to help some people, you know? And the next thing you know, that happens. And criticism, though, gentleness disarms critics. And, and when you choose to respond with gentleness, it disarms critics. And oftentimes, with some of your critics, it disappoints them. Because some people, have you noticed, are addicted to conflict. Do you know anybody that's just like they're always looking for a fight? They, it's like they're looking for a fight. They are wanting to fight. They're trolling maybe social media looking for a fight. They're, they have something to say to everyone about everything. I'm setting everyone. You know anybody like that that's looking for a fight? Raise your hands. Anybody? Okay. Do not look at them right now or you'll be fighting here before you get out of here. But sometimes it's, it's like it's an addiction for people. They don't feel alive unless they're in a conflict and so they thrive off of this. And it energizes them, and then they bait you, and the next thing you know, you're playing their game. And it happens on social media. It happens all the time. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said, this is what we do. He said, we bless those who curse us. Let me just tell you, that's a Jesus thing right there. Because it's not in our nature. We bless those who curse us. We're patient with those who abuse us. He's not saying you keep letting someone beat on you or anything like that. What, what he's saying is this, we're patient with people. We're patient with those that hurl insults at us or say things about us that aren't true. We're patient. Now look, we appeal, what's the word? Gently. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Yet he says, and that doesn't mean just because you do that, it's all going to work out just fine and dandy. He says, even as we do this, we're still treated as the world's garbage but happy are the meek. Happy are the meek. Paul takes the high road. He won't retaliate. He doesn't waste time fighting with people who you're most likely not going to change their mind. You're most likely going to continue. You can waste hours of your life uh, fighting with people, especially on social media where you feel like you got to get the last word and you feel like you got to say this. And in our culture today, it can just, it's just so venomous out there. And, and just the next thing you know, you're drawn in and sucked into a fight and defending your, your view and this and that, and it gets ugly. Did you know that God instructs me as a pastor to avoid arguments like that? And when I said that in the last service, my wife will be in the, the 5 p.m. service today. God instructs me to avoid arguments. She's going to use that on me. I'm just saying right now. Especially for someone that sometimes likes to argue. Second Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says this. Again, I say to you, Timothy, young man in the Lord, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant 
arguments that only start fights. He says, avoid that junk. You're wasting time. You got a mission. Live your mission, he says. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to, what's the word, church? Oh, that's a painful word. Even people that disagree with me politically? Yep. I'm supposed to be kind to everyone. Kind. Doesn't mean I can't disagree. It just, it means I'm not disagreeable in my disagreement. Look, he says, be able to teach. And then what does he say? Read it with me out loud. And be patient with difficult people. Who's that? That's you. No, I'm kidding. All right. I'm kidding. All right. No, it, it's this. It's, but we all have that difficult person. What do we call them around here, EBC? Your EGR. What is EGR? Extra grace required. Do you have an EGR in your life? And he says, be gentle there. Be gentle. And he says, gently instruct those. So he's not saying be a doormat, but he says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. And then look at this. He gives it to God. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. He's not saying compromise your truth. He's just saying it's not up to you to convince everybody about everything. We got to trust the Lord in this. And we have such a model of Jesus and just letting things go. Happy are the meek. You know what God's teaching me is that as this church continues to grow, that means that sometimes there's more criticism because there's more people. And sometimes, you know, it's valid criticism because I, I'm still learning in a lot of ways and I make mistakes all the time. And not sometimes though, do you know what I'm also discovering is that I'll find out about something that was critical and I'm like, I never said that. And my nature wants to go after and try to fix everything. I'm going to tell them, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. I didn't do this. And that's what I want to do. And the Lord is teaching me this. You know what? You'll be a lot happier if you just get some thicker skin. You'll be a lot happier if you just let some things roll off. If you just let some things go because you're not going to convince people, you know, all the time. Put it in my hands. Do what I've called you to do. And you're going to be a lot happier. And the Lord's teaching us this. Jesus kept silent at certain times. They said terrible, untruthful things about him. Big, strong, burly, big mouth Peter never forgot this about Jesus. First Peter 2, for God has called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. In other words, he didn't do anything to, to, to earn those terrible things that were said about him. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Look at this. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. So meekness requires some faith. It requires that you trust that God is going to take care of you and set the, word, the record straight. Here's the next thing, okay? You got to think, am I, am I just more, is it more important being right with him or being right over everyone else, right? What's more important in your life? Happy are the meek. Happy are the meek. Gentleness, if you're taking notes, gentleness is persuasive. I don't know if you know this, but when a person starts getting loud with me or when a person is trying to be aggressive and sell me something or whatever, 
mean, we even say it in my family. If someone's trying to tell me what to do and they're trying, or whatever, we even say, don't tell me what to do. And we're joking most of the time, you know, but it's in our nature, right? It's like, don't tell me what to do. Gentleness is persuasive. But whenever someone's trying to hard sell me on something, what happens with you? Wall goes up with me. Most of us buy things today, not by the hard sell. Most of us buy things by reviews. True? We look at reviews. It's not always the hard sell. What is it going to take for me to put you in this car right now? Come on down. You know, that stuff we're like, man, I'm not going there. I don't need that. What, I, 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 is this person fair? That's what we look up, don't we? Well, it's the same way in church, too. That's why we're like, what's it going to take for me to put you in this church? You know, or what, what's it going to take for me to put you in a relationship with God? You know, it doesn't work. That doesn't work. Gentleness is persuasive. Gentleness is persuasive. You know, we trust the Holy Spirit. We preach the truth. We trust the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to gently love you and correct you and admonish you and bring you along but we, we do that by speaking the truth in love. By the way, my wife is the master at this point. Gentleness is persuasive. She is a great fourth grade teacher, and she has discovered this, this method, and many of you know this, called love and logic. Does anybody else know that method? Okay, it's wonderful. You should know this, okay, if you're a parent especially. And she realized at one point in her teaching career that getting loud with the kids was not changing the classroom for her, that that wasn't helping. She's in it. She, she won teacher of the year a few years ago. So this stuff's working. Okay. I'm telling you. So now she is, as she learned this method, she is the 95 pound silent assassin. Okay. <laughs> and she tortures the children with this method as they contemplate the consequences that they will be dealing with because this is what we say about her. She is tender, but without surrender, okay? She's a tough woman. And she will, she said, this is what happened a couple of weeks ago. She told me about the example. She said there was a kid being disruptive in class over and over, and he's just, he's a good kid, but he just kept talking. I won't say who he is because he might be in our church, all right? But, <laughs> but she said she finally went over to him, and she just leaned down, 95 pounds, leans down, next to him, and by the way, she gets this crazy look on her face, a little crazy, I know the look, okay? I'm like, I'm praying for that young man, I'm praying. And she gets down and she says to him, uh, I gotta say exactly what she said. She says, she, this is what she said, why do you think, she said, why do you think I need to talk to you after class before you go to recess, all right? She says that to her, no, she said, I need to see you after class before you go to recess, all right? Let me get this right because it's good. The kid is in agony for the rest of the time. He's quiet. She goes to him afterwards, again, smile on her face, very quiet, and says, why do you think I need to talk to you? And he says, because I've been disruptive. He figured it out there. And she said to him, she said, you know, would you do something to fix this? Or do I need to do something to fix this? Right before recess, okay? Do I need to do something to fix this? And he said, I will. And she says, go and sin no more. No, she says, <laughs> she says something like this. She said, I, I have no more problems with that kid the rest of the week. And she's telling me this story and I'm like, she's using this method on me. She even last night said about the dishes that were in one spot, she wants them over there. She said, 
do I need to do something about this or do you need to? I'm like, stop using the method on me. But these are her verses right here, masterful, right? Proverbs 25, patience can persuade a prince and soft speech can break bones. She uses it. She said, she said sometimes when you're preaching, she said, you look angry. I'm, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. No, she's, I'm intense. She's like, no, you kind of look angry. And I'm like, ah. She said, you might want to smile sometimes and smile a little more. So let me say, church, I'm trying. I'm trying. She said, and then I started, no joke, seriously, I started looking at how Max Lucado preaches. I love him. And he has such a gentle spirit. And I'm like, God, give me that. There's a gentleness. And his words are powerful. Powerful, right? Look at this one. The wise are known for their understanding and pleasant words are persuasive. Meekness is persuasive. Gentleness is persuasive. A couple more just real quick before we got to go. Gentleness communicates love. Over and over again, husbands, we would be instructed by God in this through the Apostle Paul. He would tell us this in Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives. It's interesting because most of the time the wives aren't, are not, have, they don't have to be told this. That doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, but, but he would say, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Never treat them harshly. In other words, be gentle. In another place, he talks to us who are dads. By the way, that will help your love life. I'm just saying. Happy wife equals happy. There you go. All right. You're talking to Dr. Love right here, okay, all right? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, this will help us in our parenting. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger or exasperate them. And this is in the Amplified. It kind of just explains some words. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. It's kind of an explanation of a word, okay? But bring them up tenderly with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord Exasperation is about setting a standard so high that they can never live up to it. Gentleness in discipline, it's not saying don't discipline, it's saying do this, it communicates love. Do it in love, right? And we all need help with this, I know we do. And then I started thinking this week, we have an example in our Heavenly Father. He will discipline us. But do you know what the scripture says? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. God is gentle with us. Gentleness is a witness to unbelievers. And people are watching us, believers. They want to see, are we any different when we're under stress than, than they are, those that don't know the Lord, when we're under pressure? Are we different? 
Look at what Titus, now I've been admonished as a pastor not to argue, but this is what Paul told Titus to remind the believers there. They must not slander anyone, must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be, what's the word? Gentle and show true humility to everyone. He's saying, stop being so argumentative. By the way, you might shut a person up and win an argument or win a debate, but if you do it not with respect and not with gentleness, have you really won anything for the kingdom? You might not win them. Evangelism is sharing the good news and building bridges. It's not compromising what you believe, but it's being more about the way that you present with gentleness and respect, First Peter and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. And sometimes we're not like that, and we get into these heated battles online and this and that, and it's like we're losing oftentimes not because of the message, but by the way that we present the message. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, and they will, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Happy are the meek. Here's the final thing. Gentleness makes you more like Jesus. And Jesus would say to you today, as he said to these people, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you, what does he say, rest Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Does this mean if we want to be like Jesus, I need to have gentleness in my life? Yes. By God's power, he can help us with this because it doesn't come naturally for most of us. But big question for you, okay? Is it possible that part of the reason you're so stressed out and you're always in conflict, and you're always struggling is because gentleness is absent from your life. Happy are the meek. Jesus said, come to me, let me teach you. Poor in spirit, we mourn and understand our need for forgiveness, and then we're willing to give to others, and then meekness begins to come forth from our life. If you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, it starts there. You can't force gentleness. You're not going to go out and go, I'm going to be gentle. You know, it's not going to come out naturally. You'll fail. Gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit of God who lives within you produces. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So it comes by submitting yourself to the Spirit of God, allowing Him to work through you. Your last question is this, and this is where the rubber meets the road for you. Who can you practice gentleness with this week? Maybe it's the waitress that gets your order wrong. and You might normally jump down someone's throat over that. Maybe it's with a, a spouse that you've been in conflict and you're going to lower your voice this time. I'm not saying that's going to fix everything. I'm just saying it won't make things worse. Maybe it's with your coworker that just gets on your nerves. Who can you be gentle with this week? 
Let's pray. Father, today we thank you that you model this for us. You call us to be more like Jesus. But Lord, you don't just say, I hope you can do it. Good luck to you. Lord, you, you come into our lives when we are poor in spirit and we invite you in our lives. And then, Lord, when we, by your grace, you come into our lives and forgive us, Lord, then you begin to produce this, this conduct because of the character has now changed. We're someone new in Christ. Lord, today, we want to submit before you our hearts. We abandon our desires, our agendas. God, we want your agenda in our life. You say, happy are the meek. Would you teach us? You said, if we come to you, you will teach us. And we would find rest. Lord, may your peace flow over your people today. And on a broken world as we go out into it. In Jesus' name.